Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Jesus, uh, thank you for power and presence in this room. We ask you to continue to move in this place. Help us to continue to hear and uh, receive from you. Uh, so Holy Spirit, come and let your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, one thing I almost uh, forgot, we have kids camp happening this week. Um, and so we had to limit it this year for space reasons to 75 kids. Uh, but there are 75 kids who are going to be here. Um, through the week, hearing about Jesus, and we want to, just as we did for our kids who are at youth camp, we want to invite the Spirit to come and um, just change and transform their lives and do beautiful things. So to that end, we would love for you to help us in that prayer. And so on your way out, there's a table set up, just as there was a couple of weeks ago before youth camp, with names of students and kids who are going to be served by our church this week. And we would love it if you would pick one of those up and uh, make that a point of prayer throughout your week. Uh, so please, please uh, do that. It'll be easy to forget, but it'll, it'll interrupt you on your way out. You should see it, so make sure you grab that. Um, okay, so um, if you're a guest, first time here, super glad that you're here. But full disclosure, you're jumping in right into the middle of a sermon. Um, and so when you jump in midstream like that, it can be a little bit confusing and um, we've been doing, you know, recaps to kind of get us up, you know, and I've got another recap today. I just want you to know the recaps getting, they just keep getting worse and worse because I keep trying to say more things in less time. Um, so I just want to encourage you, uh, if you are intrigued, uh, go to the podcast and, and if you haven't got parts one and two, that's a, that's the way you can do that. Search our church's name and you will find it, but let's go ahead and put that, uh, hopefully familiar, uh, picture on the screen with uh, the waves behind us or behind me, and uh, let's do that bad recap now. Um, As we've said, there's often an ebb and flow to the work of God in a place, and as we've been discussing it, it has, that really kind of works in waves, and so what we experience is um, often repentance when things are not great, and then renewal, uh, and then unfortunately in time, eventually, sometimes it takes a little while, sometimes it takes centuries, but in time, eventually in a place, there is a regression and then there's a tendency for that pattern to uh, repeat. And there are other things that, go, that come from that, but you'll have to get the podcast for that. The Old Testament paints this picture very, very clearly. There's repentance, which leads to renewal. And then in time, eventually, there's often regression. And then that cycle repeats itself. And it seems uh, to me that in the United States and even here in um, the good old Bible Belt, we are experiencing, I, I think, a, a pretty significant regression as things are beginning to turn down. Now, that's bad, of course. Um, but what that also means... Um, is that I believe that we're in a place where we are ready uh, to turn things around, um, to repent, to be renewed. I do not um, know the future for sure, uh, but it seems to me that the stage is, the stage is set. So um, what does that look like? Um, last week, uh, we talked about a necessary shift that has to happen, and it's a really, really big one. Um, we have to shift from Christendom mode, and I know context if you aren't here, but Christendom mode, which is, again, another bad summary, but culturally speaking, this is in a society uh, where Christianity is in the driver's seat. That's when you're in Christendom mode. 
Um, or we can think of it this way. We can think of it as religious cruise control. All right. Um, we need to shift out of Christendom mode and into apostolic mode. And apostolic mode is what the apostles saw in the early church where there's a great outpouring of God's spirit. And in apostolic mode, we are genuinely set apart. We're willing and able to go against the grain. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is less like religious cruise control and more like off-roading for Jesus. Does that work? I thought that was clever. Okay, now, <laughs> to, to state the obvious about uh, religious cruise control versus off-roading for Jesus, um, one is a lot easier and a lot more comfortable, also boring, uh, and the other one is much, much harder and a lot more fun and exciting. Um, my challenge has been last week uh, in particular was that we would swap out our luxury sedans for some like tricked out Jeep Wranglers, okay? Um, metaphorically speaking, I honestly had the thought this morning, what if somebody goes and buys a Wrangler? Don't, like, metaphorically speaking, we switch out our sedans, we get some tricked out um, Jeep Wranglers, and we go get messy. That's kicking into apostolic mode. What do I mean by that? I'm going to kind of just list a few things that I think are kind of begin to paint the picture of what it looks like to be in apostolic mode. And one of those things is to understand the difference between aggressiveness and aggression, okay? It's very important. The difference between aggressiveness and aggression. So I, um, my, my daughter's on a uh, basketball team. It's a middle school team, really cool girls, and the coach is a friend of mine. So I've, I've been jumping in and kind of helping him coach the squad, okay? And here's what I've noticed keeps happening. Uh, we just get blasted in the first quarter. <laughs> we just start getting, we're spotting the other team 10, 15 points every game. We're getting blasted. Um, and I figured it out. It's because these darn kids are just so sweet that it takes them a while to realize I'm out for blood. That this is this is live or die stuff out here. I mean, they've got to like kick into a new gear, and they're not great at that because they're just precious little things. And I can't seem to get them fired up enough to go out there and just bring chaos from the opening tip. And in my attempt to try to inspire these girls to bring it in the first quarter, I found that I have said some things that are probably like, in retrospect, I'm like, that's maybe not great that I said those things. Uh, I was, there was one girl, and I remember pulling her aside, and I said, listen, you're about to go into the game. You see that girl bringing the ball up the court right now? When you go in the game, I need you to go ruin her week. I need you to be the worst thing that has happened to her in a long, long time. I want her waking up in cold sweats thinking about you that day that you just harassed her ruthlessly because she had the audacity to try to keep the ball when you were around. And I'm like bringing it real intense. You know, I'm getting some veins are popping. And then I look back at her to like check in with her. And she's looking up at me with these just gorgeous, innocent eyes. And I realize I'm looking at Cindy Lou Who from The Grinch. You guys, we have a picture. I think we have a picture. Maybe, oh, I had a picture. It's not in there. It's okay. Um, but you laughed. You know who it is. That's who I'm looking at. She's just looking up at me, and she's like, okay, I'll go wreak havoc. And I'm like, that's maybe not good. There is one girl on the team who's a family friend, and so I know her well. I know her story, you know. Um, and so I pulled her aside, and I said, look, I know that you love Jesus. And I know that you have all the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm so proud of you. And I want you to love Jesus more, and I want you to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. That does not change the fact that I need you to go into the game and terrorize that poor girl who did nothing wrong but just show up and be good at basketball. But you have to go ruin her, you know. And then I look, and I was like, ah, maybe, okay. But so I'm giving these sort of weird 
speeches, especially, I mean, for a preacher type, that feels weird. Um, but then every time before they go in the game, I'm trying to get them as just, okay. And on, before they go, I was like, oh, wait, 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 last thing, one thing, don't foul. Just don't, don't, I know all the things and more, but don't, whatever you do, don't foul, right? So what I'm, what I'm saying is I, I want you to be aggressive. There are to be no acts of aggression, okay? We're going to play by the rules. We're going to go hard. We're going to give it everything we got. We're going to leave it all out on the floor, but don't foul. Be aggressive. No acts of aggression. And I kind of feel a little bit like that in these sermons that I'm, like, I hope that you guys are fired up. Like, I hope that you hear the stuff and you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go get aggressive for Jesus. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I want to, before you leave, I want to be, but, 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 but. <laughs> but don't foul. Be aggressive. No acts of aggression. People get this confused and they're like, people get all riled up and fired up for Jesus. And then they go do horrible things that do not reflect the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Um, and if we're not careful, we can get, I want us to be careful, especially the kind of the language you're using around this series, I want us to be very careful to make sure we don't get an us versus them mentality. That would be wrong. The Bible makes really, really clear. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. It's us for everybody. Let me read you a few verses Hopefully they're familiar if you're a church kid. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. In other words, Paul's saying, guys, look at me. No human is your enemy. You have no human enemies. Now, you probably know these verses. And if you've been at our church for a while, you might be tired of hearing me say these verses. But folks, when, when we step into hostile territory every single day, we need to be reminded who we're fighting and who we're not fighting every single day. So I'm trying to remind you. You ever play the, the king for a day game? Or you just pretend, what if I had absolute power for one day and I could just decree some stuff? What would I decree? I was playing that game by myself. I don't care if you judge me for that. I was playing that game a few days ago, King for a Day game, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I would make a decree that on every cable news station at all times, every three minutes, we're gonna, like some annoyingly often frequency, every three minutes we would interrupt the regularly scheduled programming. Then the beep and the whole thing and a whole screen would emerge and we'd say, we now interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to remind you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. No human is your enemy. You may now return to your regularly scheduled ranting and raving. And, that would, and then they would go back to a few more people, you know, blood veins popping, screaming, spitting. And then uh, three minutes later, it would do it again. I think that would make the world better. I thought about it. I'm not running for office or anything. I just think it's a good idea. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay. So what does it mean for us then to be aggressive? Um, to go, to go off-roading for Jesus, all right? To try and paint a picture of what that looks like. And I just want to tell you, before I, if you've been in our church for a while, then I just, before I tell you these things, I just want to ask you to not get mad at me, okay? Just think that you love me before I say these things, okay? Here's, here's what it looks like 
to go off-roading for Jesus, to be aggressive. It looks like, don't get mad, um, walking with Jesus, loving your neighbor, and joining God in the renewal of all things. That's what it looks like. And you go, I know, I know, no, 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 let's lean in. There's, um, in uh, Acts chapter 2, there's this really important few verses. I'm going to read them. It's 42 to 47. And they've become these really important and well-known verses because um, they have this incredible explanation in a really short amount of, of words, this incredible explanation of what it means to really follow Jesus in apostolic mode, which is what we're talking about. All right, off-roading for Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, the picture is painted for us. In these verses, I'm going to read them to you quickly, and then I'm just going to add a little bit of commentary along the way. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is walking with Jesus, to the fellowship, that's love your neighbor, to the breaking of bread, love your neighbor, and to prayer, walking with Jesus. <coughs> Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being, formed, were being performed through the apostles. That's joining God in the renewal of all things. Verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held every, all things in common. That's love your neighbor. They sold their possessions and property and distributed their proceeds to all as any had need. That's love your neighbor. Every day they devoted themselves, meeting together in, devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. That's walking with Jesus and loving your neighbor. They broke their bread, they broke bread from house to house. Love your neighbor. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Praising God, that's walking with Jesus. Enjoying the favor of all the people, that's loving your neighbor. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, that's joining God in the renewal of all things. It's the best picture you're going to get of what it looks like to be in apostolic modes in those verses. And it looks like loving your neighbor, it looks like walking with Jesus, it looks like joining God in the renewal of all things. That, hear me, is being aggressive without even a hint of aggression. We could be tempted to think that, um, there's a shift gears here, that moving from cruise control uh, to off-roading means that we have a totally new set of practices, a totally new set of rules, a whole new everything when we kick into this mode. Not true. It's all the same principles, whether you're cruise control or off-roading. Gas still means go. Brake still means stop. Steering still does the whole left and right thing. What changes between cruise control and off-road is the intensity, the focus, the effort, the purpose, the, the meaning, the expectations. So what we're talking about here is not a whole new set of values. It's instead a whole new level of valuing your values. A whole new level of commitment to the main things that have always been the main things and will always be the main things. So to be clear, we are not reinventing the wheel. That's not what I'm talking about. But... I will say this, there will be a shift of strategy. There's going to be a shift in approach, okay? And once again, um, this is illustrated really well in the book of Acts. By the way, the book of Acts is going to come up. Um, it's literally called the Acts of the Apostles, and it is an entire book of the Bible, an entire 28 chapters that is dedicated to describing what it looks like when the church is in apostolic mode. So that would be very important for us to read moving forward. 28 chapters. Okay, read one a day, knock it out in four weeks. Read four a day, knock it out in a week. All right, somewhere in between. You can do the math, I hope. I know you don't like it when I talk about math, but we can knock this out, and I just want to suggest that you spend some time reading 
in Acts chapter 2, the picture will start to pull into focus in Acts. Now to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we just read some. Before what we just read, there's this scenario uh, where Peter is preaching to a huge group of devout Jews. And so as he speaks to these fellow Jews, I want you to realize that these people shared the same foundation, the same worldview, the same sort of story of everything that Peter had. Okay, so when he preached to this group of people and he talked about the one true God, we talked about heaven and hell and repentance and prophecy and covenant and the Messiah, everyone there knew what he meant by all, all of those things. So the only issue he really had to address in that moment was whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And he did. And then 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. And it's clear that they were quickly incorporated into the church and even into leadership. All right, this was quick. This is a lot like doing ministry in a Christendom context. In a Christendom context, you can assume a whole lot. Most of your audience probably has a pretty decent foundation. They have a similar worldview as you do. But when that changes, when you're not in a Christendom society, those assumptions have to go away. And we see Paul facing uh, similar challenges uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 14. Um, now this is, before it was Peter, now this is Paul and Barnabas. I encourage you to read that during the week. Um, Paul and Barnabas were talking to uh, a group of people in, in Lystra, and they had Greek mythology as their worldview. That's very different than Judaism. They had a different way of seeing the world. And so what that meant is they were very open to spiritual powers, so they had that, but everything else was completely foreign that he had to say. And so when Paul and Barnabas, by the way, did a couple of miracles in that place, the people assumed that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, like really powerful Greek gods, and they started worshiping them on the spot. And they, of course, had to shut that down. The people then, think about it, just logically, the people then, comparing it to the Jews who were converted, the people who that day met Jesus at that time, they had to take on a whole new worldview, a whole new way of every, a whole new story of everything. And Paul and Barnabas had to use a different strategy. Acts chapter 17 is another example. Quickly, we see Paul addressing a bunch of intellectuals in Athens, the Areopagus. And in this place, the philosophy of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle had completely shaped the worldviews of the people there. They had a philosophical worldview. And so Paul, with a group of intellectuals, shares the gospel, and he is met with skepticism. He is met with mockery. He is laughed at. But there were some people who said, wait a minute, what he's saying is actually logical. And we're logical people. There were some who went and pursued him and asked more questions so that they could learn more about this Jesus. And think about it. Those who came to Jesus at that time had a whole new worldview to take on as they turned to Jesus. They had to embrace something altogether new. So um, what does it look like to be in apostolic mode? First of all, we said we're going to be aggressive, but, but without even a hint of aggression, all right? And by the way, we live in an increasingly contentious, argumentative, angry society. If we are people of peace and love, we will stand out all the more, okay? So aggressive, not aggression. We're going to value our values, a whole new measure of walking with Jesus and loving our neighbors. We're not reinventing the wheel, but we are shifting strategy. Um, so... Here's a, here's a useful rule of thumb, okay, as we're trying to paint this picture, for living in a post-Christian society like ours, and for being part of 
an apostolic community, which I think God is leading our church to increasingly become. He's shaping us into a church that's in apostolic mode. So here's another concept I think is important. We should, as we take this on and become these people and grow into these people, we should expect more from each other and, frankly, less from everyone else. We should expect more from each other and less from everyone else. Uh, see, before, when Christendom was in place, you could expect non-Christians to have a general sense of Christian values. That's what happens in a Christendom society. But then when Christendom implodes, that implodes as well. Okay? So the contrast is going to be more stark, isn't it? And then add to that, if Christians are now like off-roading for Jesus and we're essentially, as we talked about last week, we're going to be swimming upstream instead of just floating along, then we should expect to get more and more strong. As we are a new level of walking with Jesus and loving our neighbors, we're going to become more and more like Christ and frankly the world around us less and less. And so the contrast between Jesus' followers and everything else should be more and more obvious, right? Tricked out Jeep Wranglers stand out on the road, don't they? They kind of look, they look different. Same concept here. We're going to look different. We should expect more from one another. And we should expect less from everyone else. Not in a, a sense of judgment, but a sense of like, hey, of, of course you don't have fill-in-the-blank Christian values by default. That's not your worldview. And then we can fret less about who's following rules they haven't signed up for and more about loving people and introducing them to life with Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> the next tears will not be Holy Spirit, just pure sadness. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so here's my, my last and most important point, and we're, we're headed back uh, to Haggai to illustrate it. But I'll tell you the point now. Um, Haggai chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, the point is this is simply, guys, don't be discouraged. Just don't, don't be discouraged. Don't get caught up in trying to keep score or the trajectory that the church is or isn't on. And I mean capital C, universal church, Christ, the state of Christianity in the world. Don't be discouraged. Um, people have been wrongly predicting the demise of Christianity for 2,000 years. Guys, it's not in the cards. All right? that's, that's not how this ends. Um, as we said last week, the collapse of Christendom feels like bad news, but I hope you can remember it actually isn't. Seasons of repentance and persecution even, they refocus the church. We learn, we grow, and then we are carried along by the Holy Spirit towards renewal. That's not bad news. So quickly, back to Haggai, and let's see what the Lord said to the, remember, it's a remnant in, in Jerusalem and they were facing this big uphill battle to rebuild the temple, okay? So they're, they're off-roading for sure, okay? That's their context, and here's what happens. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house, this temple, who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? So we're going to pause here. I, just, I know this is an Old Testament prophetic stuff and we default to understanding it 
symbolically. There's nothing symbolic about this. This is entirely literal. The Lord is asking. He's going, hey, do you have any, uh, any old timers in the room who remember this place before the Babylonians came and smashed it? Who remembers the old temple? Who remembers the way things were? Anybody here remember Israel at its peak when the whole world marveled at its greatness? And what the Lord is doing here, by the way, he's just acknowledging the proverbial elephant in the room. Okay? And you're going, look, guys, I get it. This temple is nothing compared to the old one, which is entirely true, by the way. The second temple did not even compare to the first. So back to the text. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing by comparison? Verse 4, even so... Be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is, is present among you. Don't be afraid. He goes, look, I get it. I get it. And we could probably do the same thing here. You know, we're like, who remembers the old temple? We could probably do the same thing. and be like, okay, who remembers Billy Graham filling stadiums? Anybody remember that? Who remembers prayer in school back when that was still a thing? Does anybody remember John Wimble, Wimber traveling around the globe talking about honeycombs and seeing great outpourings of the Holy Spirit? Who remembers Father Knows Best and the Andy Griffith Show and See You at the Pole? And we could go, look, I get it, I get it. This isn't that. And the Lord is saying, I understand. This looks like defeat. Trust the Lord, folks. We know how this ends. It ends with the renewal of all things. So back to the text, verse 6. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration. Of the Lord of armies. As the word of the Lord is so clear. God doesn't retreat. He doesn't retreat. His plan unfolds. And we don't understand most of it. Virtually all of it. The ups and the downs. We don't know. But the kingdom of God does not rise and fall. On elections or statutes. Or church attendance. Or cultural influence. It doesn't rise and fall. Based on societal norms our God reigns and his plans are good and he will heal and he will restore and his will is hear me inevitable and those who trust him see his glory and are glorified themselves and you might read this and go how is it possible actually that the glory of this smaller less impressive temple 
would, would ever or could ever be greater than the glory of the incredible one. That literally the whole known world came to celebrate. It was this incredible wonder. How could that possibly be true? And I'll tell you how it's true. It's simple. God doesn't have the same metrics we do. Sometimes smaller is better. Well, how? How could that be? Okay. The promised glory of that second temple happened. It was greater than the first. It happened. It happened about 500 years later. There was this poor little eight-day-old baby that was brought to that temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And a few years later, that same kid, 12 years old, loved hanging out at that temple. And with a cracking voice, he said, this is my father's house. And when that kid became a man, Luke 21, 38 tells us that crowds gathered at that temple each morning to hear Jesus. The glory of that second temple did exceed the first. And it did not matter that the building was only a fraction of the size. God didn't give a rip about whether or not the candle holders were formed from the purest of gold. It didn't even matter that the Ark of the Covenant was gone it didn't matter that they were now under Roman occupation. It didn't matter. It just mattered that Jesus was there and that he had come to make all things new. And just as is prophesied here in Haggai, he came to bring peace. And for us, I, look, I don't know if things will get worse before they get better. I don't know if we will, in the life of this church, see a genuine wave of a revival, or maybe we'll just plant the seeds that will be harvested long after we're all gone. I don't know. I don't know the details of the plan. But I know the end, and I know the planner, and I know the plan is good, and I know that he's renewing all things. I know that he's inviting us to join him. So I'm just, I'm just on board, man. I'm just, I am all in. So, to recap quickly. We're shifting into apostolic mode. All right? We're trading in the sedans. We're going off-roading. That's what this is about. And we're trying to now begin to paint a picture of what that looks like. Here's what we got so far. Aggressive, but without even a hint of aggression. He came to bring peace, remember? It looks like, secondly, a whole new depth of walking with Jesus and loving our neighbors. Um, Thirdly, it's a recognition. We're not reinventing anything, all right? The fundamentals remain the same, uh, but we will shift strategy. Fourthly, we're going to expect more from each other and expect less from everyone else. And finally, we're, just, we're not going to be discouraged. The stage is now set for renewal. and We are being invited into something great. Amen? All right, that was good enough. David, you can come on up. It rec I recognize that you may hear this and be like, oh, okay. Uh, cool. So the plan is for all of us to just go be awesome? We're just going to kick, like, just go be brave and strong and devoted and awesome? I recognize that I'm essentially saying, okay, guys, time to hit your Christian turbo button. That's what we're doing. And you might say, do I even have one of those? Um, well, not really, uh, but uh, the disciples had the same question right before they went 
full-scale apostolic mode. At the end of Luke, uh, Jesus had just given them the Great Commission. Remember that? All right, go into the whole world, tell the good news, make disciples everywhere. Notice he said, make disciples, not converts. That's why, by the way, we're in a post-Christian society now. It's because we made a bunch of converts instead of making disciples, but that's another sermon. And, yeah. He goes, hey, go to the whole world, tell the good news, make disciples everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I guess we'll just go be amazing now. Then he says this, this is the last words that he spoke to his disciples before he returned to be with the Father. Acts 1, verse 8, we are in Acts again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He goes, well, yeah, it will be awesome, but I have power for that. The Holy Spirit will come on you and empower you to do my will. All right, well, how do we get that? Well, we get that. It's explained at the end of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. The Lord says, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And that led to Acts chapter 2. If you're a church kid, you know the story of the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind and no one was the same after that. So we kind of have this maybe picture starting to, okay, it looks like this, it looks like this, it looks like this, it looks like this. And then, okay, all right, that all sounds fine. If you're with me and you're saying that all sounds fine, okay. But how exactly? To which the Lord would say, wait on the coming of the Spirit to empower you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be empowered to be my witnesses throughout the world. Acts 1-8, so 24-49. Guys, so much that I don't know about what's around the corner or what's next, but here's what I know for sure. We will fall short of what the Lord is calling us to do if we aren't seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking to be empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit again and again and again. We will seek the Holy Spirit. We will seek Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to, to do that now. I encourage you to do that today, tomorrow, and the next day. I want to encourage you to do that when you're, I'm sure of this now, reading through the book of Acts in the next couple of weeks. Seeking the Holy Spirit. And then what we're going to do as a church, we're going to find more space and opportunity to come into the Lord's presence together. And I, I'm kind of July 17th, which is like some weeks from now. I didn't do the math. Three, maybe? Four? I don't know. Three weeks? July 17th, we're going to meet here on Sunday night. Um, and we're going to worship and we're going to pray. We're going to seek the Holy Spirit together. My hope, my dream, increasing my, my expectation, is that we will, as a church body, have been seeking the Holy Spirit day in and day out in anticipation of when we gather to seek the Holy Spirit. And then moving forward, and more on that later, we're going to continue to gather and seek the Holy Spirit. Okay? So save the date, July 17th, but don't wait till then. Don't wait till then.